you would keep your Bibles open because we're, we're going to look at uh, at least three other passages of uh, Scripture and uh, as we cross-reference some things with <clears throat> Psalm 34, verse 8. Actually, we're just looking at the <clears throat> first part of Psalm 34, verse 8, just the first, really just the first sentence there. So, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have a Bible, we have some in the lobby. We would love for you to pick up a copy today as as our gift to you. If you're able, would you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word? And I'm going to go ahead and read the whole verse, but uh, we'll, we'll just be looking at the first half of this verse today. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Thank you. Proving the goodness of God. Let's pause for a moment again and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we do love you and praise you, and it is, it is a blessing, and it is a grace, and it is a mercy. It is a goodness to us that we have the privilege and the freedom to be here today, that we have the strength and the health to be here today, that the purpose for the gathering, the purpose for this facility, the purpose for our meeting is all centered around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And because of your goodness, we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we just want to give you praise and glory and We just want to recognize, to just pause and recognize that before we even go a step further, that your goodness has been shown to us this day already in marvelous ways. As we look to your word, Father, as we study it and meditate upon it together, I pray that you would help us, God, just to to glean, Father, from this passage all that we can and that you would embed some things in our hearts that would begin to transform our lives and our minds. And we do pray and ask for all of this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. It's always uh, a good practice um, It's always a good thing to read through the entire Bible to see uh, what all of what God has revealed to us in His Word. I've I've enjoyed uh, that practice. I've enjoyed that goal in my life to read through the Bible to see all that, all of the uh, revelation, all of the insight, all of the truth that God has given us. And, uh, you know, we, we should think of it, we have, we have a marvelous, really priceless gift that's been given to us, the words of Almighty God. If God has really 
spoken these words, if God has actually spoken to us, if he has actually communicated to us, if the Bible is indeed God talking to me, then, then I really and truly need to hear it. I need to know what God has said. I need to know all of what God has said. And so it's always a good practice um, anytime, whether that's your yearly Bible plan or just a, just a, a project you know, that you have just to read through the Bible one time. It, it's always good to be exposed to the, to the, the whole breadth of God's Word, to the, the big picture, the whole story of redemptive history and all the little ways and all the little subsets of how this big picture comes together to take, to take the whole view of God's revelation in. But that's kind of the breadth. We also need the depth. We need the depth of, of God's riches because if it's truly that, that God is really speaking, if God is really spoken and his word is alive, then each and every word that, his, that we have on the page before us is a marvelous divine communication to us. So sometimes it's good to just take one verse of Scripture, and, and that's what we're doing today, really half a verse, and just to drill down deep and meditate and make application to really look at it as really kind of dissecting and, and digesting everything we can get out of these few words to internalize and apply just one sentence of the words of God. It's hard to take 66 books at one time and take them all in. So it's good to stop and just look at one portion, even just the smallest portion, and seek to take it in. To pull one verse out, to put it under the microscope of the Holy Spirit and observe and, and rejoice in how every word and every phrase are full of meaning. And so that's what we do with Psalm 34, 8. It's one of those verses that, that uh, we would never be remiss. We would never, we would never be a waste of time. It, it would always be fruitful for us to meditate richly upon this verse. And just to be uh, totally honest with you, most of, most of what I'm getting from this verse and, and the first two points of the outline and all of that is from uh, Dave Busby's sermons that, uh, that I've listened to over the years. This is one of the verses that he would major on um, when he was alive. And uh, he was always rich. So some of it is just things I've heard from him and some of it is things that I've added as well. So the first of all, the thing we want to understand about Psalm 34 verse 8 is that it is an invitation. An invitation. God, think about this. We really need to pause and think about this. God is issuing to us an invitation through the pen of David. So God is essentially welcoming us to himself. Oh, 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. You think about invitations and how important invitations could be or can be in your life. You know, in recent days, two really spiritual giants of of our land in, in, in recent time have passed, and that would be Billy Graham and Charles Stanley. Everyone always talked about Billy Graham and and, and Charles Stanley. And I imagine for uh, many of you here today, they, one of those men or both of those men you would regard as a spiritual hero. Can, can, can you imagine if while they were living, all of a sudden at home you received by, by email or through the mail or somehow you received a personal written invitation from one of those men to come to their house and to spend time with them to have a meal with them can can, can you imagine how if you were to receive that how you would rearrange everything in your life all of a sudden everything else would become secondary and you would make sure that you were going to make that invitation we would plan ahead we we would think about okay what what are we going to wear what are we going to say We would make travel plans to make sure that we arrive in time, that we're not late. I imagine we would be really nervous to meet someone that we had had meant so much to us. We, We would be honored to be there. We would be thankful to be there. It would be uh, truly a marked occasion, a marked event in our life. So much so that, that, that we would tell everyone, from that moment on, we would tell everyone about the day that we met our spiritual hero, that we actually received an invitation from him, a personal written invitation, and we actually got to spend the day with him. Well, that's just another human being that we would think of and, and react in that way. God has sent every one of us an invitation, a written invitation. Are we ready? Are we ready for this invitation? Have we prepared? Have we planned? Are we looking forward to this? God has spoken to us. He he has written an invitation. It has your name on it. It has my name on it. It's addressed to the reader. It's given to us. Psalm 34 is written in the Word of God so that we might see it, that we might hear it, that we might respond to it. God is essentially saying, I want you to know me. And the Bible is filled with invitation. When we think about that point, the the Bible is filled with God issuing invitation after invitation to us. I thought about these two. In in, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus is speaking and he issues this invitation. Come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's an invitation. Come to me. 
All who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it sounds a lot like, doesn't it sound a lot like, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In Revelation 20, the great uh, kind of reversal of uh, this invitation in Revelation 3.20, Jesus is seen standing outside of the, our heart's door. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, there's the, there's the invitation, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and, and eat with him and he with me. In other words, I will fellowship. I will have personal communion an intimate, close fellowship with the one who hears and opens the door. And I will come in. What, what an invitation. That, that sounds a lot like, doesn't it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the amazing thing about reading through the, reading through the Scripture and coming upon these invitations that are here that is God is speaking to us. He's not only describing himself, he's not only describing our condition, but he's issuing an invitation to us in our condition to come to him. The, the amazing thing about all these invitations is that God is extending them to sinners, God is extending them to those who are unworthy and undeserving. God is extending them to us. It's not like we have, uh, you know, in, in our sin and in our fallenness that we have made a great impression on the Lord. And so he wants, he wants to meet us. He, he wants to get to know us because of how much we stand out. But rather, it's the opposite, isn't it? It's not Jesus knowing all of the good points about us. It's about him even knowing all the sin and bad points and the wrong about us and still issuing an invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The second thing for us to realize from this verse is that this is, this is an invitation to experience God. This is an invitation unlike any other invitation we can possibly imagine. And this is not just God issuing an, an invitation to something, but God is issuing an invitation to himself. To him. Now, there's a lot of events that occur around being with the Lord and being in Christ, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things to come, and there's a lot of things to experience and encounter when we are in the Lord. But essentially, He's not inviting us to those things; He's inviting us to Him. An invitation to experience God, tasting and seeing are terms of experience. God wants us to encounter him. God wants us to experience him. 
He desires that we know the joy and the fullness of fellowship with him, that we know that that he is supreme uh, above all other pleasures in this life and in this world, that he is actually more satisfying, that, that we be satisfied in him and not satisfied in lesser things, that we give him praise for all that he's done for us and all that he is for us in Christ. God is calling us to an encounter, to an experience. And that experience is with him. But what happens though, one one of the things that we need to realize in this grand invitation to come and experience God is that we cannot truly taste and see the Lord is good without first, when we encounter the Lord, seeing how much we need his goodness. We really can't understand how good the Lord is until we really understand how much we need his goodness. And then in in experiencing that goodness, knowing that he truly is good. Look with me, if you will, to... Isaiah 6, we're going to look at passage here. We've, we've uh, looked at this on, uh, on Sunday evening. I want to take a look at it again quickly this morning. When we encounter the Lord... We encounter ourselves, and that's what helps us understand how good he is. Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And so Isaiah is seeing this this vision of the Lord and and he's on the throne and he is sovereign and and he is holy and his glory fills the temple and the angels are calling to him and and he is declared as, as the holiest of all, holy, holy, holy. And even the angels that are flying and burning around the, the, the glory and the majesty of God dare not even look upon him, even though they were created to be there in his presence, even though they themselves are a powerful being, even though they themselves are holy, they are separated unto the Lord, even though they themselves are sinless, they're not part of the fallen angels, but they say, holy, holy Holy. In other words, there is nothing, there is no one else like God. And Isaiah sees this and hears this, encounters this, experiences this, and notice what he 
how he responds in verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. In other words, that woe is me is a pronouncement of divine judgment upon himself. In other words, what Isaiah is saying, if as I am seeing the glory and majesty and the holiness of the Lord upon his throne, I am doomed. I shouldn't be here. I can't be here. I am a sinner. I am unholy. He is holy. The first thing is that Isaiah recognized in himself just how much he needed the goodness of God. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's saying, I am a sinner. I am a horrible, wretched sinner. Now, this is the prophet. And I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. I, I, I'm not going to be able to survive this. I, I have seen the Lord. And then look what happens in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an Old Testament example. I'd like for us to quickly look at a New Testament example. If you will turn with me over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I just want to read quickly this narrative of Jesus and the disciples. We saw from Isaiah 6 that Isaiah saw the Lord and so therefore he saw himself and then he tasted and saw the goodness of God. Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is such an interesting passage. And Simon answered, Master, we, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, this is the fisherman. This is the professional fisherman talking to Jesus. We, told, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. 
They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, so when he saw the Lord, when he saw it, then he also saw himself, doesn't he? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That was his reaction. When he saw what the Lord Jesus did and understood, I heard someone say this, I believe it was at the Passion Conference that we went with the college group to, that Jesus... The difference here is that Jesus stepped into his world. Fishing was his world. And so he had already seen Jesus say and do all kinds of things. But this was his world. This is where he lived. This was what he knew about. This was him encountering God in his world. And his only response could be, I don't deserve to be here. I shouldn't be here. I can't be this close to you. I'm a sinful man. You are God. Continue reading with me in verse 9. For for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And now here it comes. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon Peter saw the Lord. And then he saw himself. And then he tasted the goodness of God. Now the same is true for us. Before we truly taste and see the Lord is good, we need to see how much we need his goodness. And that can apply to the unbeliever that has never truly encountered the Lord, and that can apply to the believer who desperately needs to a fresh encounter with the Lord. An invitation to experience God. So one of the things we need to understand is the difference between knowing something is true and experiencing it. So Isaiah knew that the Lord was holy, but then he experienced it. Simon knew that Jesus is Lord, then he experienced it. There's a large gap between knowing something to be true in our mind and experiencing it in our lives and having that experience and having that truth in life. And as an illustration, we could say that that's how we interact with the Bible so often, every one of us, even myself. 
We read the Bible and we agree that it is true, but we never really encounter it. There's so much of it that we don't really encounter, we don't really experience, we don't really apply. But once we experience it in our lives, it changes us, it affects us. It becomes true in our heart, not just in our mind. It becomes an experience. It becomes an encounter. Truth encounters us and changes us. One of the illustrations that Dave Busby gives in his sermons on tasting and seeing the goodness of God is, is uh, one that I I've myself have, have experienced overseas, but I'll use his, his words and his illustration explaining this difference, this gap between us knowing and agreeing and affirming and not wrestling with, embracing a truth, but then encountering that truth, experiencing that truth and being changed by it. And so Busby says when he was growing up, he kind of makes a joke about it. He says uh, one of the meals that his mother would always cook would be salmon croquettes, and he hated salmon croquettes. And she would cook those all the time. Salmon patties is what I call them. And that she would cook those all the time, and he, he and his siblings despised salmon patties. And he said his mother would always give them the same speech. That she would say, don't you know that there's starving children in Africa? Clean your plate. And so, you know, his point was, I knew that to be true. There were, I did not disagree with that statement. I, I knew in my mind that there were starving children in Africa. He said, as a kid, I wanted to say, well, send them all of the salmon patties. He said, I knew that was true. But one day, I actually went to Africa. And I actually smelled starvation. And I actually looked at starvation and I actually held a starving child in my arms I actually tasted and saw that there were starving children in Africa and he said it affected me it changed me It was a truth I always knew and I always agreed to. But it changed me when I encountered it. That's the point of Psalm 34, 8. That we can agree that God is good. We can affirm that God is good. We can believe, we can can know that that is true. But God wants us to experience it, to encounter it. God desires that we not only know him in our mind, but in our heart. When we encounter him as an unbeliever or as a believer, it changes us, it affects us. Truth agreed upon becomes truth that is lived upon.
Taste and see that the Lord is good. God wants us to experience him. And in so doing, we will taste and see our need of his goodness. And his goodness will affect us. It will change us. Which brings us to the final point. What the Lord wants us to experience about him. We, we already know this, but let's talk about it a few more minutes before we close. What the Lord wants us to experience about him is his goodness. I'm starting to see this more and more in Scripture. Yes, God wants us to know that he is holy. Yes, God wants us to know that he is just. Yes, God wants us to know that he is wrathful against sin, that he is sovereign. But he also wants us to know that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is forgiving. He wants us to know and experience his goodness. Romans 2, 4 says the kindness of God leads to repentance. For this portion, I want us to look back at Exodus 33 and 34. This is another passage that we've already looked at on Sunday night, so I'll just be brief, but it brings out Psalm 34, 8 so well. What the Lord wants us to experience about him is his goodness. That's what he wants us to know. That's what he wants to show us, to tell us. After we understand his holiness and his power and his justice. So Exodus 33, beginning in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. That is that God will be with them as they go to the promised land. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. So that's what Moses wanted more than anything is to encounter him, experience him. And he said, I will make all my, watch this, goodness. Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness Pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In other words, I am the sovereign, living God of the universe. I direct everything. Awesome in power and wonder. Verse 20. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You can't handle this. You can't handle the fullness of the glory of God in your state of fallenness and sinfulness and corruptness of sin. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock... And verse 22, and while my glory passes by, again, let's just stop and make the connection that in verse 19, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. 
Now drop down to verse 22, and God is saying, And while my glory passes by, so God himself equates his glory with his goodness. While my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In other words, you cannot take the fullness, a full-on expression of the fullness of the glory of God, even though it's his goodness. But after that has, after that has passed, what's left You can see that. You can see that. And so if you look with me in in Exodus 34 and verse 6, this is when it actually happens. In verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now remember he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass... I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make all my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim my name. And so when the Lord passed in Exodus 34 before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, when God wanted us to know what that means for him to be Yahweh, he could have said, He could have described himself in any way that was accurate to his nature. He could have have described himself as holy, 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 because he is holy, 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 as we saw in Isaiah. He could have described himself in, in the fury of his wrath against unrighteousness. He could have described himself in any way, but when he revealed his glory to Moses when when he was sharing with Moses what he wanted Moses to know. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God wants us to taste and see, to experience and know, not just that He is God. but that he is good. Let's pray. Father, once again we bow our hearts before you. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for its truth. We're so thankful that you have spoken. We're so thankful for this opportunity, Father, to see your glory, to, to have this grand invitation that you've extended to us, to know and encounter and experience your goodness. 
And so we pray, Father, that you would, you would enable us, you would allow us, your grace would be with us, just as with Moses, that it would be our desire to see your glory and that, God, you would, you would sort of pass before us this morning and with our eyes of faith, Lord, that, that we would be allowed to look upon you as you pass and, and that we would hear what you proclaim and, and that we would see and that we would taste that you are good. And as believers, Father, that would cause us to praise you today, to worship you, to recognize ourself, God, and, and all, of the, all, of the, all of the things within us that still corrupt and still wrong. And that, God, that as believers, as we encounter you, God, and that your goodness would, like that passage in Isaiah, and that we would be changed and affected, transformed as your kindness leads us to repentance. Now pray, Father, if, if we are without Christ today, that we have heard and we have seen clearly the Lord, and so therefore we have heard and seen clearly ourselves, and we know that we are in need, and we know that you are God, and now we know that you are good, and that you will forgive, and that you will save so, Father, help us to believe and help us to repent and help us to come to Christ today. And we ask all of this in his precious name. Amen.